Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello and welcome to From Queer to Eternity, a podcast exploring what it means to us to be queer. My name's Scott Hancock, and every episode I'll be chatting to a different guest from the LGBTQ community, talking about their lives, experiences, and what queerness means to them, and hopefully discovering just how much we all have in common. Due to the nature of these conversations, certain themes, phrases, or experiences discussed may be upsetting for some of our listeners, but generally we're here to celebrate queerness in all its forms and have a good time sharing our stories. This episode, I'll be chatting with... Nathaniel Curtis. Nathaniel, welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much. Hello. I'm thrilled to have you because weirdly this podcast sort of stemmed out of conversations I had with people following It's a Sin, where suddenly loads of people on you were talking about their experiences across generations of, of gay men and, and it sort of spurred the idea that across the wider LGBTQ community, we've all had a similar experience, but also a very personal experience. So it's all down to you, inadvertently. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so no pressure. <laughs> that's not scary at all. <laughs> no. I'm going to begin, if that's okay, by just asking you a question I've been asking lots of people over the last few weeks, which is, what does the word queer mean to you? The word queer, to me, means just not being 100% straight. As someone who identifies as queer and having had experiences with both men and women, I think that you, instead of your bog standard heterosexual, I think that sexuality is so fluid and there are so many beautiful different versions of queer and of sexual experiences that I think that trying to pin them all down to one label or pin them all down to one word, I think I think queer for myself is all encompassing. And just to embark on your sort of life journey, as it were. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what was your sort of background growing up? Where did you grow up? So I grew up uh, just outside of Bournemouth, which is on the south coast of England. Hmm. And I, I, I'm thirty years old, so I, I, I was born in 1990, and uh, such a baby. Such a such a child. Wait, you're not that much older than me, so I don't know why you're whinging. <laughs> so I, yeah, so I grew up uh, just outside of Bournemouth, but at the time there wasn't. I I was one of the very few children of colour hmm. in the area, and um, I think it was quite a different time to to now. I think the area has changed quite a bit. I hope. I hope. And growing up sort of within an Indian family, I, I was chatting to another actor friend of mine who was invited to speak on this podcast but we had a lovely hour-long conversation about um why he couldn't and he was very open about the fact that culturally being queer can be quite difficult for various reasons how was that for you and when did you first realize that you had these sort of queer feelings so i i kind of first realized that there was um something else there for me when i when i i moved to london at 19 Mm. 
And that's when I kind of realized that there was something else there, that there were feelings there. And kind of, I think that pinpointing what it was, was really, was enormous, like was such an enormous event for me. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just curious because back in, back in the 90s, blimey, and, and early 2000s, there wouldn't have been that many, um, you know, positive role models or even news stories you know about gay people in the media you know i completely agree with that and I, what's been really wonderful is that in the last what 10 20 years is that the the perception of um the lgbtq plus community has changed so much for the for the better i mean of course there is so still so far that um we need to go mm. but i think that just the acceptance of embracing all different walks of life and and things like trans rights are us like are slowly but very surely becoming better and and the way that um, the lgbtq plus community is portrayed in in the media in in plays and films in tv series in books in all these different things and i think that having the variety showing that showing all these different stories is so important because you do have, you know, there's the, you know, you look at the the backlash from, you know, some publications uh, about the the open sexuality of it's a sin, and compared to some other publications, when actually it's just the sex scenes were there for a purpose. It wasn't just promiscuity for the sake of promiscuity. And I think that the the changes are happening, mm. and I think that in order to in in order to accept that it needs to be normalized that it needs to be seen more that it needs to be talked about more and actually that's been really wonderful especially i mean in my own experience the last two months has mm. been it's all becoming so much more open and it's and to be a part of that is so wonderful i'm curious the idea of talking about things as well i mean as you say you're only slightly younger than me when i was growing up you know i i was at the tail end of section 28 there was nothing at school in terms of your education, was there much geared towards sexuality and gender? Absolutely nothing. Right. <laughs> there was there was honestly absolutely nothing. There was in all the um, sex ed talks, there was nothing about anything apart from sex is used for procreation mm. between a man and a woman. That was it. There was there was no talk about anything else. Um, I learned nothing about Section Twenty Eight. I learned very. I learned nothing about the AIDS crisis. Mm. I, I mean, I, I've worked in education, but not in the same way I worked in primary schools and I worked with special needs children. So uh, I'd be interested to see how that's changed for secondary school students now. And I think that there is more in education, but I couldn't tell you what that is. And actually learning all the things that I you know, had to learn for it to sin was um, awful. Having to teach myself from my late 20s. Hmm. And I had to teach myself about all these things. And I think that yeah, it's just been, it's, it was really sad actually thinking about, you know, I, I think about all of these poor, poor people, generations worth of people who, because it, they weren't taught about it in school and actually it's okay. It's so okay. The shame that kind of is drilled into you because people that you're, you're taught to brush it under the carpet, you're taught to not talk about your feelings. Mm. And I think that if that had, if that changes, that we, it would be a very different landscape today. And I think that would be lovely if, if you know, we, if it was okay to talk about it, if it was okay to feel these things. And I'd love to, I'd love to be able to just, I'd, I'd love to just tell people who are questioning 
young people who are questioning what it is, why they feel different. I just want to scoop them all up and just tell them, you are you are going to do so well, and it's all right. Do, do you think the lack of education meant you weren't aware of alternatives, or yeah, were there completely. other things? Did, did you did you, for want of a better term, think I'll just default and play straight? I think that it wasn't so much about playing straight. I was, you know, I did, I did have feelings, and I did, you know, embark upon, you know, experiences with women. Hmm. But because I was taught about in school, and it wasn't really something that um, was talked about like it wasn't really something that was in my um it wasn't really in my inner circle Mm. of people and i think that i don't know it's that's a interesting question it's it wasn't so much about playing straight for me it was just that there wasn't really an option to play to be anything else Mm. and i think that in you know i moved to london to go to drama school which is so liberal and um (laughs) (laughs) well which should have been so liberal and it was all um very i think it's when I was able to say, that's what it is. That is mm. that is what I'm feeling. Like, it just kind of like, it's like I'd opened a window and there was, and like just sunlight and air had just come rushing in. And it was really lovely, actually. I mean, it was obviously very, it was a very difficult time. But yeah, I think when I realised that I was going to be okay yes. and that it was all right, I think that there was such a, such a sigh of relief. And I felt like I was so much lighter did you at any point think, oh, this will just be a phase? Or was it something where you'd had that feeling inside for such a long time that actually it was just finding that label and understanding of what it was you were feeling? I think, and this is going to be really sad for actually me to say out loud, I think. I think I hoped it was a phase. Mm. I'm, I'm, all, you know, I'm already very different. I'm six foot five and I'm, I'm, I've, I've got, you know, dual heritage and I never really I felt like especially as a teenager that I really didn't have really didn't really have a place in the world and I mm. didn't know where I'd where I'd fit and I think that when I realized this it was more of a like I don't know I just kind of I remember thinking please don't let this be a thing but I know I'm not alone in that I know that there are it happens to so many people in terms of then discovering yourself and realizing you know, and it sounds very positive. You went, yes, brilliant. I know where I am and who I am. In terms of then coming out, how did you deal with that? Once you'd sort of accepted yourself, how did you? I, so I actually was outed. Ah, okay. Uh, There were some people who I was studying with who thought it was funny and who used it to make fun of me. And they went and they told absolutely everyone when I was, and I was still figuring out what was going on. Mm. I wasn't really sure of myself. And the reaction to that was so heartbreaking and embarrassing. And by the time that I'd figured out who I was and I was happy to say who I was, the time had already gone. People already knew and people had already been laughing about it behind my back. And so that toughened me up a lot actually yeah that really really just it taught me it taught me to just kind of as long as it it taught me that as long as i'm i'm okay with it it doesn't matter yeah it doesn't yeah and also people will talk that's one thing uh, that's one thing that i learned and I, i i desperately wish it happened another way of course of course i was robbed of the opportunity to tell the world that who i am Mm. because it was used against me as a weapon for people to 
laugh at me. And as much as I wish that was different, I am also quite grateful for the opportunity because it taught me to look after myself. Did you, did you feel, in spite of the circumstances around which it happened, did, did you feel you could behave differently, you could relax more once it was out in the open after that, you know, yeah. initial yeah, yeah. discomfort? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what was really nice was that I the, the, the true friends that I had, when I told them, they didn't it, they didn't turn around and say oh yeah we know mm. they were just like great fantastic good for you thank you for telling me and that was kind of and it was that it was that reaction it was the it was being and it was i mean yes i know i you know i've just said that it was incredibly painful for me but it was i was also loved and supported mm. by such wonderful people and being able to breathe that's the thing i felt like i could breathe yes and that was really, really lovely. And yeah, and I was able to, yeah, just relax a little bit, kind of not be ashamed of what I was thinking of what I was, and that's not so much what I was saying, but like what I was thinking. And yeah. <laughs> There's a, a curious thing, isn't there, that I think a lot of people are scared to talk about it for fear of rejection, which is quite an irrational sensation and I, I can't think of a straight equivalent but I think I think it's so lovely to hear that in spite of you know people there outing you and using it almost as a weapon there are plenty of people there who will listen and you know your friends will accept you no matter what and it, it wasn't even just that it was my close close friends of course like I'd hope they would accept me and the majority of them did but it was people that it was pe- it was some people that I didn't even expect, and you know they I told them and or they'd you know they'd found out or someone had told them or something, and it was the it what was really nice was the reaction from people I didn't really expect mm. to be not okay with it, but to not really care. And I think that's what's really nice is that yes, it's great for people to say, of course that's wonderful, and I'm really happy and I'm really proud of you. But I think that people not making a big thing of it then is, in my experience anyway, better. Because I'm I'm not different at all, you know, mm. uh, and and I think what's really lovely is that you know the, the is people's ability to to love and to just accept, and I'm very lucky in that I have the most loving, accepting group of people around me, from family to friends to acquaintances, and all these people who've been able to kind of sprinkle some joy and some positivity and good influence in my life that actually mm. is without even thinking about it what I've kind of led with what I've kind of want what I've tried to live with and I think that even if you have bad experiences I let it teach me a lesson and it was one of the most painful things I ever went through and it taught me my lesson and I moved on and I moved on with the people who who accepted me and loved me for who I was. In the mainstream though it sounds like everyone's very accepting and I think there's this disconnect between particularly for people of our generation who grew up watching dramas where gay people didn't feature very often, but when they did, they would very often be the victims or everything like that. Whereas now I I think there's still work to do, but people are more exposed to, as it is in the real world, people are actually a lot more accepting than we were ever allowed to believe. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and you're completely right. Watching, you know, I, we, we very rarely saw, um, the LGBTQ plus community portrayed in a positive way. But now, 20 years later, hmm. you know, you look at the shows that are out at the moment. And what's really lovely is that um, I-, I love shows where 
people's soul journey isn't that they are coming out and, and, that, and that being gay or being queer isn't their only story because actually it is not our only story. There are, you know, we still suffer with rejection, self-esteem issues, with, you know, work, with family, with, you know, all these different things. We, it's just it's just a part of life. And what's really lovely is that it, because it's now being normalised, mm. that, you know, the LGBTQ plus community's only um, obstacle isn't being LGBTQ plus. It is the, the, the same struggles that absolutely everyone goes through every day. And I think that that's such an important part of, of, of integrating it into just the normal part, like into just normal life for the younger generations. Do you remember the first time you met another queer person? I don't think so, actually. I actually don't know. Um, Rather, I'll, I'll rephrase that. Coming from Bournemouth to London, were you quite tentative about the gay scene? Did you seek it out and embrace it? No, I mean, no. I mean, I, I when I when I moved up here i was um i was completely focused on drama school hmm. i you know drama, drama school isn't like university you are in for 10 hours a day every day you there's lots of work to do it you have to throw yourself into it. it's all encompassing and i didn't it wasn't really something that i sought i i kind of it just kind of happened organically but hmm. i didn't like i didn't go out i mean I, I look i don't like clubbing at the best of times I'm not even ashamed to say that. I don't get the concept. You know, I know that it's lovely and music and dancing and stuff, but I just, <laughs> I'm far too old and far too boring for that. <laughs> so I never went out to clubs really or anything like that. And it wasn't, I don't know. It just, I, it's, it was kind of through the people that I met and through the people who became my friends that I then went and I, you know, explored different, you know, the the scenes. Mm. Um, but I mean, I'm much more of a pub person, so it wasn't really a let's go out to heaven, let's go out to GAY. It was, I don't know, it was just kind of getting to know people and learning through them, which is how I kind of learned. That's nice. I'm so glad to hear someone else say that because every single thing at university was a gay pub crawl, and you just go, God, I hate it. Yeah. Just I just I started a book group. I just went honestly. We can do more yes. civilized things. Yes. Say so, okay. Right. Yes. A book group. I love a book group. Hey, look. I love going to the pub. The pub is wonderful, and I cannot wait for them to reopen because I love going to the pub with my friends. But I love I love the idea of a book group. <laughs> Such a nerd. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. Yeah, and it's okay. <laughs> Oh, hello you. My name's Tom Price. Hello, I'm Dave Cribb. You should come and join us every day. We do a podcast called Cabin Fever, where we talk to loads of comedians who've had to cancel everything else in their lives. So they come on our podcast instead, don't they, Dave? Yeah, it's an isolation podcast. Uh, Dave, were you yawning at the start of that sentence then? Was it just a little yawn? Yeah, it's basically the Great Big Owl isolation podcast. We'll have people on from all our podcasts, from your Rule of Threes, your Brian Rogers, your Musicals, your Bitchins. If you like any of our podcasts, if you like any of those people, chances are they'll be logging onto the Zoom call and just chatting because, let's face it, they got nothing else to do. Also, there'll be a quiz on the bill. All right, see you soon. Lots of love. Cabin F-E-A-3709. Oh, 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 that's our Twitter name. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How did you find dating and sort of putting yourself out there initially? Because I think it's trepidatious for everyone. But did you did you grow up with the apps or? Was it, as you say, just meeting people the old-fashioned way? Um, I tried the apps for a bit, hated it. Mm. Um, I am not very good at flirting. And I get very nervous and I get really anxious. Mm. So um, I I can't say I'm any good at dating. Um, and I'm not very good at, like, like you know, like chatting to people. Um, Which I, is really surprising easy. because I think... In my experience, you're quite a chatty, outgoing person. Well, I mean, I mean, you're, so you're my friend. So right. that's. Um, but what's and but like it's it's kind of I I like talking to people, um, and I you know I like to think that I'm quite friendly and nice. But um, when it comes to that, I get very nervous. Mm. I get very nervous, which is you know happens to the best of us. But I um, I'm much better at talking to someone in person than texting you know yes and so I tried the apps for a while didn't I just didn't like it I didn't like the atmosphere and then um yeah it kind of it was more like friends of friends or friends or like meeting people in like a pub or um on the tube once that you know and it's things like that (laughs) very strange experiences I'm intrigued on the tube yeah it was yes (laughs) so I was I was on the way back from seeing a friend um this was about a billion years ago Mm. and there was someone who was sat opposite me and I was reading my book and he was sat there with his friend and they were both I like they both had a couple of drinks but they were both like giggling and and staring at me and I thought they were staring at me because I had long hair and you know and Mm. just I thought I thought they were being rude so at one point I just put my book down I was like can I help you (laughs) and um (laughs) And that wasn't the, that wasn't what they were doing at all. <laughs> so, um, and then I ended up 
um, giving this guy my number, and then we dated for a little while. <laughs> How lovely! That's quite charming. Yeah, which was, which was, it's probably one of my most unusual stories. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I'm fascinated by uh, your sort of drama school experience as well, just because you you dropped a little hint there. You you said, oh, you know, liberal drama school, and then or, or so you thought. You said, um, I I think for that it was the people who added me, and right, you know. I, I, you know, I had such a wonderful time at drama school, but it wasn't always easy at all. Mm. I think like any, it was work and you can't enjoy work 100% of the time. Um, and yeah, some of, yeah, some of, some of the people at drama school, I think were, yeah, a little, we aren't friends to this day, I think is the best way to put that. Right. But also I don't like, I also don't really hold any bad feelings. I mm. just don't really think of them. And everyone lives, has lived their own lives. Everyone's moved on. And that's fine. <laughs> Good, like, and I hope they are safe. I hope they are well in all of this madness. But I wouldn't stop and say hi to them on the street. And and generally at drama school, did you find it a far more sort of accepting and open environment? Generally, not just with LGBTQ issues, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, I mean, I I what, I was at drama school ten years ago. Things needed to change and i hope that things are changing especially in light of the last year mm. about what's been coming out but uh pun not intended actually but also there we are <laughs> um in what's what's come to light i think and i think that it's not just the same with my drama school i think don't think it's just my drama school i think it's all across the board these institutions have to develop with time mm. they have to they have to um, change with what's going on in the world. And I think, I hope that, I think that things are changing. Um, but yeah, drama school was, yeah, drama school was was accepting of quite a lot of things, yeah. As an actor, of course, most people now are going to know you because of It's a Sin. How did that come about? When did you first sort of learn of this project and your agent, you know, dropped your line and said, this has come through? So I remember years ago that... Um, you know, hearing about Russell T Davies' new new piece of writing hmm. um, was going to be about um, like the AIDS crisis, and very little was known about it at the time. I was like, "Oh, I love me some Russell T Davies," and that sounds quite interesting. <laughs> and <laughs> and I'd auditioned for um, one of his shows before, so I was in the middle of uh, playing Romeo. Actually, I was in I was on tour with Romeo and Juliet, which was such a lovely production. Hmm. Um, so much, so much fun. And um, I got the call from my agent. And my agent at the time was a very new uh, agent. I'd only been signed with him for about three months, four months. And um, he said, so Nathaniel, I've got uh, this, I've, I've got this audition come through, through for you. I was like, ah, oh, wicked. Took a look at the script, completely fell in love. And um, went in uh, for my first round which there were three scenes. Uh, so I'd been sent the first three episodes and I was, of course, as we get to the end of episode three, I was a wreck. Yes. I was a wreck. Of course. <laughs> and um, But I went in, I read with uh, the casting director, Andy Pryor, who is oh, one, of them, yes. one of the kindest, loveliest men in the world. Um, I have, I, I don't know anyone who doesn't completely love Andy Pryor because he makes you so comfortable and he's so sweet and so kind and just so lovely and warm. Um, and I will stop gushing about him now. Um, and then I, um, and like, and I liked, I liked auditioning for it. It was fun, but I didn't think I'd get it if I'm totally honest. And I've actually, <laughs> I've told, I've told Russell this, 
I didn't think I was going to get it. <laughs> I didn't think I'd get the role. And so when my agent then called a couple of days later, it was like, so you've got a recall. I just said to him, why? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I went in for the recall and then um, I went off on tour uh, with Romeo and Juliet. And then I was in the middle of the tour and I got the phone call saying that I'd landed the role. And I just was so confused because I loved it. And I loved the script so much, but I just thought I'd kind of gotten into my head that they were going to cast someone who had a, a screen credit or hmm. wasn't in the middle of doing their first acting role. And also I was, I was 28. I was, you know, old in my eyes, which is of course ridiculous, but, um, yeah, no, I, I, I was so pleasantly surprised that I got the part. Um, because also it's not a part that I think na I naturally, I don't think I was, I wouldn't think I'm like that, but I obviously I've proven myself wrong, hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I absolutely loved it. And being, yeah, being cast back was just insane. And you say you enjoyed the scripts. What did you sort of make of them more generally? Because I suppose they tackled it. I mean, they would have tackled a period before you were born. So how much were you aware of? Oh, very little. Very little. Again, I wasn't taught about it in school. It wasn't something that I really grew up with. And it wasn't. And I, I had become more aware as I was older. Absolutely. But I didn't know what I, I'd heard the term Section 28, but I didn't mm. know what it was. I knew very little about what ha actually had happened my sister is a doctor and so i knew the medical sides mm. and not even all of that you know i didn't know so many things but um so when so then in researching the role what i some what i came across was so sad i think is the best way to it's just sad mm. and it was hard to research because you hear about people, people's experiences and just the treatment of them is barbaric and and just how lonely some these people felt. And I think that Russell Script has captured that beautifully, but also it wasn't just a sad he isn't just telling a sad story at all, actually. It's Oh, it's um, very much it, about life. It's it's people it's, living it's, and yeah. that's the thing. It's a story about life and a story about love and a story about a group of people who would do anything for each other. And and I saw my own friends in the script i saw my own family in the script i saw i saw people that i have known and loved for years and that was but before i'd gotten to the end of the first episode and and when you all sort of came together for that first read through i imagine and you met you know were they how you'd imagine them in your head um oh i actually haven't thought about that i don't know i yes no maybe i don't know they were better I think hmm. I, I think I was just nervous and I didn't really know what to expect, but you know, and Ollie is so famous and Lydia, I'd also just rewatched years and years. Hmm. And so I, I just seen Lydia on my screen again and I met them all. And it was like, I'd, by the end of the first day, it was like I'd known them for years. Oh, amazing. It was, yeah, they're lovely. It was just, we all met each other and then it was like, Oh, so we're all just going to have to, I, I like, we're going to spend so much time together. And then when, when we started the read through, we read all five episodes and by, by what the third episode, mm. I, I had absolutely no doubt that it wasn't going to be hard to portray these people's friends because there was an electricity between all of us in the read through sat the, sat the other side of the room from each other. I was sat next to Lydia. Um, and, 
and like different points she'd like squeeze my hand or she'd like grab my knee or and we'd laugh together and it was just really lovely and i'd met her an hour before mm. <laughs> oh beautiful lydia beautiful oh they're all so gorgeous i just love them all I think it's something, as you say, Andy Pryor is a genius casting director. And, genius! Uh, great at casting not just brilliant actors, but brilliant people and, and that combination of personalities. There's been a lot of talk in relation to It's a Sim, particularly from Russell, about casting gay actors for gay roles. Was that something that occurred to you when you all got together? That actually we do have a shared experience, even if it doesn't directly relate to this particular era? I mean, I don't like as someone who identifies as queer anyway, mm. I think that having I think that having the showrunner, I think having Russell being gay and then the the director being queer and so many like the producer and all these different people, I think that especially as it's a story that us all as then twenty year twenty something year olds, we weren't alive for I th- I think that having people who were there, people who do have those experiences, I think that there is an authenticity which shines through. Mm. And I think that having, especially with Russell and with Peter and with all these different people, I think that there is there is a gentleness that this story had to be told with and, and a love and a care. And also, I think more importantly, a respect. Yes. And I just think, I don't know if it would have been the same if it weren't for people who had lived those experiences. The subject matter is obviously quite grim and serious. What what was the sort of vibe in terms of waiting for it to come out? Uh, did, did you imagine it would take off the way it has? No. I, I, no. I, I thought it would do, like, I thought it would do well. And the magic of the, of the script, I read it, I was like, oh, this is something special. Mm. And then making it, I was like, oh, this is something very special. <laughs> and then but then we were sat on the show for a year yeah it took a you know nearly a year we finished it was nearly a year to the day actually we finished filming to its release and it had been pushed back by a couple of months and i think that so so much had happened in life in that in between stage for all of us that it wasn't just that we were impatient it was that when the show came out it was like we'd all kind of been set like shot back to the time when we were filming and all these different and the, the, the different lives that we all had at the time which was lovely but also quite sad because I just wanted to sit in someone's living room with some champagne with all of the guys and like every single one of them and we just sit there and we just enjoy it but we couldn't do that which was really sad well I mean we, we all talk all the time so and I love them all but so much as I tell everyone and I have no shame in telling absolutely everyone how much I love them all but it was yeah it was it was very very strange to the reaction has been amazing you know there's it's 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 been nuts it's just been like I can't even begin to describe how insane it's been you know Elton John calling me when I was on the tube to say congratulations and 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 happens all the time happens all the time um, but then, and people, the messages that I've been receiving, the of of support, um, and people saying thank you for telling this story, thank you for your part in this story, either for the way they haven't seen an Indian man portrayed in that way before, mm. or telling a story that they didn't know anything about, or or 
recounting someone a, t- a tale of someone who they loved and lost it means this show means so much to so many different people for so many different reasons that i couldn't even begin to imagine and i i, I am so proud of this show and i would have been proud of this show anyway because you know it was my first tv job and mm. it was lovely to do and i'm proud of myself as an actor but the impact the show has had raising over three hundred thousand pounds for the terence higgins trust through philip normal's laugh t-shirts mm. it's just the it, it just like the joy that fills me with the show is unbelievable do you think if you'd known that when you started it would have changed your approach if you'd known how how oh my god much yeah, attention no, I would have absolutely had. cacked myself but <laughs> the pressure would have been like i already felt pressure but then knowing that this is what's happened now yeah i wouldn't have done it <laughs> i no. couldn't have done it at all <laughs> And I suppose in the last few months, with all the the press and everything, not just over here in the UK, but for the US and everything like that, um, you've been talking about it a lot. But the brilliant thing is, so have the public. Everyone's been talking about it's a sin and it's become a much wider conversation. You know, away from press, have you found people you know talking about their experiences more? Yeah. Yes, I I really, really have. And that's been... been... (laughs) that's been lovely actually i think that's kind of that's meant so much i had someone from who went to school with message me hmm. saying that her mother had been talking about a friend of hers who um she'd lost in the 80s and that's not something that i'd have expected knowing that family and and the people that i know who are t- 15 20 years older than me saying i remember this person and they went home which of course is such a sad hmm. phrase in the show but it really just kind of it's it's hit home for a lot of people. But people that I I know and people who know me as Nathaniel is bumbly and awkward and um, clumsy. <laughs> uh, uh, they the fact that they then feel like they are able to share that with me is such an honour for me. I mean, it's it's mad in a way that this story took the best part of forty years to be told. That yeah, at the time people didn't want to address it because I mean, you just have to look at some of the tabloid headlines at the time. Yeah, and you know it's taken this long for people to almost remember the trauma that went on then. Yeah, it's been yeah. I mean, I, and I I I'm I love Russell, and I'm so proud of him for that because it's so it's such a tough story, and I couldn't um, I can't imagine how 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 he got through it. Mm. If I'm honest, and then digging it back up to tell this beautiful story. It's it must have been so so tough for him. On a lighter note, then moving away from mm. it's a sin, uh, what's been keeping you busy since? I have. What has been keeping me busy since? I have been doing press, really, and auditioning, and uh, doing some radio plays, of course, with with some people that I know, you <laughs> sir, <laughs> and I've been you know trying to take a walk every other day to mm. get some air, and I'm just trying to. You know, and I'm catching up with friends. I've mastered the Zoom quiz, sir. Let me tell you, I have mastered it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, at the moment, it's just kind of trying to catch my breath a little bit, which is so, which is mm. such a lovely experience. But yes, very, very busy doing press and um, kind of getting ready for what's happening next, I guess. Brilliant stuff. And uh, just to wrap up then, looking back at your sort of queer journey, for want of a better term, 
how long do you think it took for you to become comfortable with that identity? Or is it still a work in progress? Do you still discover things about yourself that surprise you? I think I discover less now, but I'm open to discovering whatever happens next. I do believe that sexuality is fluid and I do believe that, you know, I I spent I spent my the entirety of my twenties basically just figuring myself out. Mm. And if things change, if if anything, you know, if I you know, I don't know. I, I think it's probably still a work in progress. There's, I think, I hope there's less work to do now, but I, it took me, it's taken me a long, it took me a long time, but that's okay. And I have no problems with that. I do wish that I could go back and tell younger me that it's going to be all right. That, mm. you know, I think the reminder that no matter how old you are, no matter who you are, no matter how you love or who you love, you are worthy of love. And I think that is such an important lesson. I wish that I had reminded myself of that more often, but you know, no one's perfect. And who knows what, who knows what's going to happen. Oh, what a positive note to end on. Thank you. Thank you so much for chatting with me this morning. Thank you, Scott, for having me. Massive thanks to Nathaniel for being our first guest on From Queer to Eternity. We'll be back very soon with another. And also huge thanks to Sophie Isles for the marvellous logo she provided. And also Rob Harvey for the lovely music you're probably listening to me spoil by talking all over it right now. If you'd like to follow us online, you can do so on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at Queer2Eternity. Let us know your thoughts and thanks again for listening. podcast revisiting S Club 7's insane TV show. Yeah, I can't imagine anyone's binge watched this, anyone who's not on drugs. <laughs> Thank you for bringing this into my life. Uh, it was honestly <laughs> truly appalling. Guests helped me analyse the show in more detail than anyone ever asked for. It feels weird to me to say the phrase sex object in a show that <laughs> was aimed at six-year-olds. Do you think, do you think this is one of the problems with the show is that seven is too much? It's an S-pod thing from Great Big Owl. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 